Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which I think count. Wow, I'm glad I'm glad you think that, Dan. I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man. But in my opinion, Dan, and this is really goes beyond opinion. I think in in terms of facts, the annuals don't count. Well, Mark, I'm very happy that you believe that, if only to keep this delightful banter going yes of course because this is the amazing spider talk the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange fun and fascinating history of the spider-man comic universe well thanks everybody for joining us for this review episode of the amazing spider talk if you want to swing along with us on our journey through spidey's past present and future subscribe to amazing spider talk on your favorite podcast app Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics, as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. Today on the show, Dan and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 77, entitled Beyond Chapter 3. This issue was written by Kelly Thompson, with pencils and inks by Sarah Pacelli, colors by Nolan Woodard with a cover by Arthur Adams and Alejandro Sanchez, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. This issue was first released on October 27th, 2021. Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened in this comic? Yeah, there's not much of a follow-up on the events of the last issue, but here we join Ben Riley as he spars with Misty Knight and Colleen Wing. He's being observed by Marcus and Maxine Danger, the heads of the Beyond Corporation. Maxine talks with Ben and reminds him of how many resources Beyond has been putting into him to make him a great Spider-Man, but wonders if he's been taking the role a little bit light. If he won't keep them updated on all of his activities as Spider-Man, she insists that he can be replaced. Yep, she's definitely not gaslighting him. Ben conveys that he does want to be the Spider-Man to Dr. Kafka, who he also tells a story about his Uncle Ben, but weirdly forgets how the story ends, as if that memory had been removed. Kafka suggests perhaps he's just stressed out, but I think we all know better. Meanwhile, Aunt May and MJ run through their Rolodex of Avengers contacts for who could help provide Peter the best treatment while he's in a coma. They're all weirdly unavailable, so Aunt May suggests that she's going to take matters into her own hands, while Felicia Hardy spies on them through the window. Additionally, as Ben Riley returns to his girlfriend Janice, 
She complains of being in a gilded cage, but knows it's one of the few options she has. Ben has to cut their conversation short and jump through a portal to investigate a break-in at Midtown. It is Morbius, and he's surrounded by dead people. He's transformed into more of a monster than normal, but Ben tries the peaceful approach. It doesn't work, and Morbius seizes Ben, biting down on his neck as the issue ends. So that is Amazing Spider-Man number 77, or what is it, 878? Mark, what did you think of the issue overall? I got to be honest. I mean, from a, from a sheer content standpoint, there was nothing too, too memorable here. But like at the same time, I found this very enjoyable in like that kind of brand new day way. I mean, the, I mean, this really does remind me of brand new day in so many ways, even with Ben Riley as the lead instead of Peter. It's just kind of this these simple, simple, fun Spider-Man stories. And, and this is no different so far. What about you? I felt almost exactly the same way. It didn't feel discordant with the previous two chapters that we got, but those definitely seemed like kind of settle in chapter or the first part of a two part story. And that is very brand new day. And in my, in my mind, that's a good thing, which is to say like not every Spider-Man story needs to shock and amaze us. Like we can just have a nice little character piece that moves a bunch of pieces forward and gives us a villain of the week. You know, if you're going to be publishing it as fast as they're doing this, like this is the kind of stuff I want. So like, am I going to remember this issue forever? Probably not. I didn't mind checking in on, on some of my friends new and old in an issue like this. I did want to note though, you know, we do have a new creative team on this book and you know, we've kind of been touting this as the first like truly female written amazing Spider-Man non-annual and maybe even the first Amazing Spider-Man illustrated by a woman. In researching this to talk about this episode, I realized actually that's not correct. There was one other issue. I mean, one whole other issue. In over 800. (laughs) Yeah, right. As far as I can tell, the last time I can think of there being a female writer on the book was 1987. So 20, what, 25 No, no, 35 years ago (laughs) in Amazing Spider-Man 295. That would be Anne Nascenti and Cindy Martin doing the uh, art. And this was part of that Mad Dogs Ward storyline that crossed over a bunch of Spider-Man titles. So truly, that was the only reason that we got a story from a female writer and artist was because it was really like kind of planned out in the pages of other books. For context, I mean, at that point in time, like, you know, Jim Salakrup had just taken over Amazing Spider-Man. So like they were kind of going over some, you know, going through some inventory stories before David Michelinie and Tom McFarlane would take over. So, you know, you had Craven's Last Hunt, which, you know, I, I, I don't mean to dismiss that as just an inventory story, but it was an inventory story from what it, it happens to be a great one. But other stories of that and Mad Dog's War was another one. I mean, they they, they kind of spread that out among the other titles. It, it really wasn't like, you know, it wasn't supposed to be this big coming out party in terms of, oh, you know, female empowerment in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. It just so happened to be released that way, you know? It's funny because this one doesn't really seem like a big grand party of it either. It just seems like any other issue of Amazing Spider-Man, which I think is kind of nice, right? You know, like this is how it should be, which is to say anybody could write a good Spider-Man comic. So why haven't we gotten anybody up to this point? 
you know, and it's been almost exclusively white, you know, men of a certain age that have taken on on this title. You know, I think there are some nice moments in this issue that have like female characters that are maybe more prominent and more involved in the forward momentum of the story than usual. But if you handed me this comic, I don't think I would know other than my knowledge of Kelly Thompson and Sarah Pacelli's very distinct art. You know, I don't think it would shout out to me like female involvement, but I think that's a good thing. It's like, you know, your gender shouldn't really influence, you know, the, the quality of a comic or the contents of a comic. So great. Let's bring on, we've got what, 800 some issues to go to balance the scales here to make this book truly representative of the world uh, of writers <laughs> that could be doing this. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I just wanted to call it out because, it, you know, it's it's an important moment, even if it's not the first. It feels like the first because it's the first that felt like it was truly done with the intention of highlighting a, a woman taking over both the writing and art duties. Right. And clearly not an inventory story. I mean, you know, this is this is part of the scheme, which is, I mean, frankly, my note about it, too. I mean, like, regardless of, you know, the gender of who's writing, I mean, I think the handoff from creative team to creative team was going to be one of the big things to look out for with this beyond arc. And, you know, in terms of first tests, I think this was a successful one. I mean, like, I didn't necessarily love all the dynamics of this issue as much as I did the first two, but that had nothing to do with the creative team. It was just like, okay, like this is, you know, the focus here was, was, uh, you know, a little more of a cool down after two very, you know, momentous issues that preceded it, you know, in terms of like trying to tell this longer form story, I feel like these all felt pretty seamless. So, Mark, I have a long history with reading Kelly Thompson stuff at Marvel and elsewhere. I don't know if you have any history with her as a, as a writer. Did you get any sense of a voice from her here? Not yet. I, I got to be honest. I mean, like, I, I I mean, and we'll get into this in, you know, a little later in our review. I mean, like, I, I did like her her character work for sure i felt like you know like she she had a good grasp of all of these characters and you know really got into their heads in a good way i didn't get a, a defining thing and i got i you know and and i not to be critical the art from Pacelli wasn't as i i love sarah Pacelli's artwork i mean like her stuff with miles morales to me is some of the finest spider-man comic book artwork we've ever had and I felt this was kind of lacking that polish, even though I this I believe this comic was delayed a week. But even still, like, you know, maybe like the, the kind of, you know, aggressive timeline of these comics kind of made her rush through it a little bit. You know, I know Pacelli tends to work a little more methodically. I didn't get I but no, I mean, in terms of narrative voice, I didn't get anything too, too distinctive. It kind of felt in the flow of what, uh, again, what preceded it with, with Zeb Wells a little bit. I mean, it was a good sense, you know, the, the sense of humor was there, which I appreciated. Yeah. I mean, I think if there's anything that stood out to me, it was her sense of humor. Her sense of humor tends to be kind of like, I don't know if non sequitur is the, the, the right thing, but she created the character of Jeff, the land shark, right? Like she has kind of a silly sense of humor. And I think you could see that a little bit here and how she began to kind of bring in almost like the next wave agents of hate silliness where the beyond corporation was first established. And 
those things like uh, some of the jokiness with Ben worked for me. The the kind of other stuff felt a little bit like discordant and distracting. If I didn't know her already, again, I, I, I think she would just feel like another cog in the wheel of this story, which is also just to, to her credit, like, you know, fitting in with Zeb Wells and making it feel of a piece shows a, a, an ability to adapt that, that, that I appreciate. And that's kind of more in line with classic Spider-Man writing, which is to say, don't reinvent the wheel when you take over a book. You're a part of a continuing legacy as Ron friends would often say to us. And uh, th- this felt uh, uh, of that kind of thing. And I agree with you on the Pacelli. It felt a little bit rushed. I think especially on the Morbius pages to me felt a, a little bit sloppy, but I do, I always appreciate how she can one dress these characters. Everybody's got a distinct something about them, you know, whether it's, you know, you've got the female boss, I'm, I'm forgetting her name, Maxine, her kind of like pink, extreme haircut, you know, down to just like the interaction between Ben and and Janice was like really like their emotions and the way Ben was opening himself up to Kafka. Everybody feels much younger and more full of energy when through uh, Pacelli's pen or or pencil as it were, although she inked herself here. Uh, I like that, but I will say her Ben does not look like Peter. Yeah, I mean, and and to be fair, I kind of feel like even Gleason kind of was trying to separate the characters a bit. And, you know, on one breath, I kind of get that because it's like, you know, do you really want to be playing with the whole, well, how can people tell these people apart? But at the same token, they are clones. So (laughs) it's not just the blonde hair. They should look alike. So it's, it's, it's this, I have a feeling this might be a problem not just with Pacelli's art, but throughout this this run, I think maybe artists are going a little too far in trying to separate the two characters out from looking too too similar from each other. He looked very Andrew Garfield to me in in, in this issue, and and some people will say, well, Andrew Garfield looks like Peter Parker, but like he looks a bit less. He looked like much younger than I expect to see Peter Parker in this comic. But I mean, either way, like. Her her inks are always just so delicate, and that really renders a lot of these kind of touching scenes. You know, I think the highlight here being the the scenes with Kafka and Janice. You know, are, are really felt emotional to me. So I appreciate getting that from her. What do you think of like Ben's characterization here? Like this this issue, as notice notably at least to me, fewer kind of like internal captions. From Ben, did that impact your uh, experience of the comic at all? It's funny that you say that because, like, yeah, there was less inner monologuing, but I feel like this this issue, I mean, very intentionally because we didn't get any Peter monologue at all in this book. I mean, you know, the only Peter we got was you know him basically being an inanimate, not a corpse, but an inanimate object in a in a bed. I felt like of all the the three issues that we've had so far with Beyond that 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 this was the most focused on Ben and Ben's character as Spider-Man. I I you know yeah, I mean it would have been nicer to be inside his head more, but like I I I felt that there were enough little lines and 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 drops from Ben throughout this comic that you know 
the, the distinguishment of how Ben is different than Peter, not just, you know, the, the, the hubris that I think kind of came across in those first two issues, but just some other subtle things. You know, I notably at the very beginning, you know, when this arc was first announced, I said, I don't know if I really need to spend time with Ben Riley again, but like this comic kind of got me into the idea of spending time with Ben Riley again, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I still feel a little bit distant from him, but specifically in regards to how he feels about the Beyond Corporation. Like, I, I don't know if he, how he feels about the situation he's found himself in. And I think that might also just be to how quickly that was set up in like the free comic book day issue bleeding into this. It's just like, boom, he's a part of this. And I don't really know how I feel about how he feels about that. And I'm hoping that we get a little bit more, but all of the kind of like really internal personal stuff is not really addressing that yet. It seems much more interested in this idea of him like desiring to reposition himself away from being like the other Spider-Man, the guy that like comes in and out of town every once in a while and disrupts things. He wants to kind of like have a legacy all his own as Spider-Man and feel like he fits in that role, which I think we've kind of seen before. This seems like a more sensitive touch to that. So I I like that about him, but I, I do feel like by now, I wish I had at least a little bit of an idea about how he feels going forward about this through beyond because he could certainly just wear a Spider-Man suit and go out and do it. What attracts him about being involved with this company other than the fact that they seem to be able to spring his girlfriend from jail. So that's just something I'm still curious about. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have a speculative answer for that. I mean, I do think one of the most telling lines in this whole comic was, you know, when Maxine is kind of pressuring him, not pressuring him, but, you know, haggling him about, you know, his commitment to this and, you know, are you in this to win it kind of a thing. And he turns around and just says very simple, I am Spider-Man. And, 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 you know, like to me that those words, I mean, it's just a few words, but it really tells a whole lot of Ben's story here because, you know, and, and, and we kind of got this, in a little bit in the last issue when Peter is, you know, before he goes into his coma kind of like says, look, you know, you, you, you have every right to this as much as I do. And, and, and like, I think this, this is kind of going to be the prevailing theme here. You know, I don't know if we got it as much in the clone saga, but like this idea that like, you know, this isn't just, you know, Ben is not just a guy who looks like Peter, who is pretending to, to do this here. Like, I mean, like, he he is staking a claim that is every right his you know because in his brain he's he's as much spider-man as peter is you know to me that's always one of the things in the clone saga that kind of over time got lost was this idea that ben is just kind of a pretender and wasn't actually supposed to be spider-man and and you know i like that he's establishing early here like no i i i am spider-man he is he is and you can't deny it that uh, it's just you know, we, we have this technicality that kind of defines the character and has defined them for years now. But like in reality, he's Spider-Man as much as Peter's Spider-Man. So why shouldn't he just stake that claim? I, I also really enjoy some of like you were saying, the subtle kind of character differences between him and Peter. Like to me, he seems like a more kind of calm headed Spider-Man or more rational or uh, uh, le- less rash, if you will. You know, Peter is kind of defined by like, 
jumping into conflict without thinking it through. I mean, I think we see a little bit of that um, here in, in Ben, but like, I like that, you know, there is, I don't feel like Peter would trust beyond implicitly. Like, I think he would be inherently skeptical in a way that Ben doesn't seem to be. But also, like, I mean, to me, the the biggest tell is how he treats Morbius. Because, like, historically, and we've joked about this on the show before, like, Peter, the minute he sees Morbius, just starts throwing fists. You know, like, he just can't help himself but, like, beat up on this guy. He does not have the same compassion for him that he has for the lizard. Whereas, like, Ben like explicitly uh, approaches Morbius with like a more peaceful manner first. And I was like, well, that's the tell because Peter would never act that way. He would just like try to destroy Morbius straight away. But like I said, I like, I think the more they draw out this kind of like inherent trust of beyond, like the less we're going to be able to relate to Ben because he just kind of seems kind of dumb because we all don't trust beyond already. Right. So like I'm waiting for, I'm I'm okay with him being in the dark for a bit longer, but there will be like kind of like diminishing returns. I think on that if we're if we remain this far ahead of the character for so long. Anything else about the Ben characterization you want to bring up? I think this Janice thing to me, like not not having read this in like twenty some years, like I still want to see it fleshed out a little bit more. I do think that they're playing with the thing I was talking about in our last review, which is that like she's like kind of being designed to play the Mary Jane role from like the nineties, which is to say like, I'll just be here waiting for you in this beautiful apartment. And she's pushing back on that here, which I think is kind of neat, right? Like it's like a character that's trying to escape a trope that is being set up for them. I'm all for it. I think that's really interesting. Very cool. All right, Danny, want me to talk a little bit about the slack? Yeah. Tell us about the slack, Mark. So yeah, hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The Amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, I hang out there all the time, and I'm always eager to dive in the day that these issues come out just to kind of see what everybody's saying about them. I try to hold back a little bit because... I want to talk about it with you, Mark, for the first time, but like, you know, people do these long threads where we're all discussing the ins and outs of all these issues. So yeah, if you want to join this awesome Spider-Man community, just follow the link in the description and be sure to say hi. And uh, yeah, once you're there, let us know what you thought of our review of the episode. Did we cover everything you wanted to hear about? We, we want to hear it all. So, okay, let's get back to discussing Amazing Spider-Man 77. Mark, you wanted to talk about Colleen Wing and Misty Knight. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You, you 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 started out by saying that you know, oh, this wasn't like a, a big female empowerment issue, and and I, I I tend to agree. Although, you know, certainly kind of a new wrinkle for a Spider-Man comic is is the extensive involvement of these two characters, who you know obviously are two very prominent female characters in the Marvel universe. This has nothing to do with with gender, but like their their role in this story just seems to kind of take me out of it so far. I mean, and and I felt this way when we had the little teaser story. I believe it was at the end of the first Beyond issue. I I just don't associate these characters with Spider Man, and I guess it makes sense 
like, hey, it's Ben Riley, so he should have his own supporting cast. But like, I, I, I don't know. There's a part of me that's just kind of like, what's up with these two? Like, like, I, I don't know. Like, like, I'm not getting a sense of, and maybe it's just how they're being written so far in these stories. But like, there's, they, they just feel very perfunctory and there's not a lot of layers here and i don't know like they're not there's they're not drawing me in in any kind of meaningful way so far i mean i hate to say it but it really feels like they're just there to set up that dot bey issue that we're going to get starring them you know i think they're fine i don't really understand what their association with beyond is and that's maybe my biggest problem it's like i just don't get what that relationship is and I don't really have much of a connection to Misty Knight or Colleen Wing as characters on their own. And this gets to my whole thing. It's like, it's also part of like the hastiness of like who or what beyond is like, it's been a long time since I've read next wave agents of hate, which I'm going to need to do a reread. But like, I think the whole beyond thing is kind of nebulous. And so like the relationship with people other than Spider-Man also feels like kind of discordant to me. So I'm like, I don't know how this all fits or works or what we're supposed to think about it. They don't feel like an extension of beyond more than they feel like, you know, Thor flying by with a hammer saying, read my comic. Yes. Um, I, I was going to say like this. I, I keep looking like what what's coming up in like pop culture that involves these two. That is essential. You know, I mean, we 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 already got the Defenders Netflix show. So what is it? <laughs> And, you know, I, if I have to be truly like my skeptical self, I'm like, well, this is like a like a Nick Lowism, right? Which is to say like this, this and it's hard. It's maybe not fair to blame it on him, but this is like the Spider-Man line has to sell a certain number of comics, which means there needs to be a lot of side stories that branch off of it. And we saw, you know, Dan Slott and Nick Spencer leap through these hoops of like, establishing a black cat series or setting up, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, you know, this to me feels like these two are primed to get their own series. And this is the setup work, which is like what you have to do if you're a Marvel writer, but they can't help but feel a little bit like tangential from the main plot. I don't think it's like offensive, but it, it does feel discordant to me. Yeah. I, I I will say to their credit, like you know, the, the, this the one of the scenes with the the two characters they they mentioned to Ben after like his little trial scene or whatever you want to call it, like oh you were slow to your it was it slow to his right slow to his left whatever it was and 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 there was a part of me that wonders when we got the scene with Morbius when Morbius kind of got the jump on him, was that kind of premeditated that you know were, were we predicting that that was going to happen that ben that there was something off about ben that his reflexes weren't quite all there i don't know just just a thought just throwing it out there yeah he does say in that scene like oh i am slow on my right she was she was right are you suggesting that like that's a beyond thing I don't know. I mean, well, well we're going to get into this other weird mystery that came up regarding the Uncle Ben memory. But like, yeah, I mean, there, there seems to be they seem to be establishing that something is off with Ben so far. And like that could be one of those things. And, you know, speaking to like Colleen Wing and Misty Knight, we do get like a scene where they're separated from Ben because they need to be outfitted with technology per beyond request. Right. And we've already started speculating that like, you know, beyond is behind, you know, the knockout of Peter Parker because he wasn't fitted with the equipment. So we're seeing this kind of repeated 
story beat. Who's to say what level of connection there is between all of this? What do you think about Morbius being a part of this? I mean, it's kind of out of left field. I thought it was kind of cool. You know, again, like I feel like the last two times Morbius showed up in Spider-Man, it was to set up either a solo series or something like that. So I'm like kind of like checking the solicits. And then I was like, wait, is the movie coming out yet? No, it's not coming out yet. Right. I mean, that that movie isn't supposed (laughs) to come out for a while. Right. I think we have a few more months. Yeah. Okay, But at the same token, like I did kind of appreciate. I mean, you know, you mentioned like Ben's kind of like. I come in peace approach with him. But beyond that, like Morbius, like seems like, like legitimately scary and a threat here, which we haven't had in a really long time. I mean, like Morbius has kind of always been played more. I feel like recently as, you know, misunderstood and, and, you know, shades of gray, blah, 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 blah. But like this time around, it's like, no, this guy is literally out for blood and is a threat and gets the jump on Ben and it's it's bad, you know, like and and like it kind of brought me back to the Bronze Age Morbius. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, this if, if this is how the character was portrayed for the last 15, 20 years. I'd be more into it. But like, you know, I kind of feel they, they, they softened him up too much. So I thought this was a good return to force for the character. Well, Mark, if you do want to read more like modern Morbius that's not softened up, he had a, a mini series a short time ago. It's really violent. Like Morbius is like this is where he gets his wings that you see in this issue. He's like kind of like tries to cure himself, but it pushes his transformation even further. And it's like a really, really violent, extreme Morbius series really changed the character in a, in a big way, which I think we're seeing some of the results of here. So like at the very least, I felt like my time was valued in reading that Morbius mini series, which I enjoyed in its own right. I thought this is so extreme where I'm never going to see this in the pages of Spider-Man. And it, here it was, you know, I still think there must be like my read here is there's some mix up or miscommunication going on, which is typical of Morbius. You know, I'm curious because it is in line with with that miniseries. Just thought it worth mentioning for listeners who might want to go check that out to see where these wings came from. Yeah, definitely. So, so Dan, I alluded to it a few minutes ago. What do you think about this whole scene with Ben and Dr. Kafka and him trying, like, you know, telling like an Uncle Ben story and then all of a sudden, like, forgetting the punchline to it? Yeah, well, it's, it seems like like it's a bad version of our old bad improv <laughs> at the end of our episodes. I, I genuinely have no idea what to make of this. I mean, I think it continues off that whole uh, visual idea that we saw in issue 75, that really creepy image of like Ben's face. And, and I'll admit, like, you know, I think I didn't want to admit that I didn't really get what that image was getting at in that issue. Like I was like, okay, like it's a nightmare. I don't like, is there some more profound thing that I'm supposed to be taking away of like why Ben's face is a giant hole with like teeth and there are spiders everywhere. And to me here, it seems to suggest like, Hey, there's something much more frightening going on here, but I don't know what to make of it because like that was Peter's memory that was doing that or a nightmare that was doing that. And this is Ben. I have no idea what it means that like, I mean, you could take it just at at face value, which is to say like, Oh, he's really tired. And Kafka was right. He just needs to take a break. But like, I 
don't think so. No, Mark, am I, I reading think, into it too much? Or no, yeah. I think you're reading into it a good amount. <laughs> Is it instant where I won't where I won't say no, Dan? You're overreading it. No, I I I mean, like to me, it was more like it's just a byproduct of Ben kind of selling out to beyond you know what i mean like is he like kind of losing a part of himself by by being in or, or i mean are they affecting his his memories you know because of his involvement with them i mean like you know we're already establishing that these these people want a certain amount of control over ben are they manipulating how he thinks i don't know you know what i mean but like there's definitely something very sinister going on here and i i, I don't think that this memory loss thing was an accident. I mean, the other question is like Kafka seems a little bit surprised or like the way she's drawn doesn't make her seem like she's manipulating him. Right. She seems like a genuine therapist that's trying to offer him good advice. Right. But like she could also be an agent of beyond that is manipulating him psychologically. But I, I think up to this point, we've not seen that she seems kind of a benign part of Ben's life. So I doubt I'm not ready to claim anything wicked about Kafka. I don't know. There's also that play of like between Ben and, and, and Janice about like, I'm half cockroach. You know, what or... does he say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Half cockroach. So there is maybe this, like uh, uh, there's, they're introducing the idea of like metamorphosis, you know, and it's like, m- maybe he is undergoing some kind of slow granular change that we're seeing play out here i don't know it's it caught me off guard and i think of the of the issue it was the most interesting thing to me like even more than the mystery of like what's beyond you know what's behind beyond like when you start dealing with like forgetting uncle ben stories then we're dealing with like a like a like essential fabric of these characters like like uh splintering away is it clone degeneration who who could really say one way or the other lots to speculate about but Dan, do you have a grade for this one? Yeah, this one's like a solid B minus to me. Like it's not one I'll remember for terribly long, but like keep up the quality Spider-Man comics. Yep, I'm right there with you. B minus for me too. I mean, like I said, this this wasn't like a like a big barn burner for me, but like I enjoyed it and, and I, I continue to enjoy this arc. That there's no way around it. <laughs> Yeah, it's just cool to think, like, I, I love that they're keeping this kind of, like, logo on the cover, like, beyond chapter three. Like, the idea that we're, like, getting chapters one through 19 and it's going to be a closed unit is really exciting to me. Like, it, you know, do I want the sexy, uh, like, fun, pun-rich titles that they give each issue? Yeah, I miss those. But, like, to feel like this is going to be some contained thing, it, it, it continues to excite me. Uh, as a someone who's interested in storytelling, you know, as we begin to close things out, I do want to say if you find the show entertaining and valuable, you know, please consider supporting us. Recommend Amazing Spider Talk to a friend, and if you're able, like, why not become a member on our Patreon? Yeah, because we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. We are constantly making exclusive content for our members. Yeah, so why not take $3.99, the sometimes price of a new comic, and put it towards a month's subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. 
That way you'll hear our Patreon-exclusive review podcast on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week it comes out instead of waiting for it to arrive in our public podcasting feed. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. This season, we'll be mailing out a print by artist Ron Friends. He's created a lost page of The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man for Us, which was inked by Brett Reading, depicting Tim and Spidey sharing laughs over Tim's Spider-Man comic collection. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. And those are so amazing. Uh, But yeah, we know this is a hard time for everybody. The pandemic is wrapping up. Christmas season is is coming here. Expenses are tight. So we don't want anyone to, you know, support us or give us money. If it brings you any hardship of any kind, you can just listen and share the show. That would mean the world to us. But again, if you do have the means, we'd love to have you join our Patreon club. It would be great to have you there and so you can enjoy it as much as we enjoy making the content and allow us to keep doing this show. So there's a link in the description of the episode. Uh, that'll guide you to all the information you need to to join on board. And again, a thank you to all the members who already make this show possible. Yes, Dan, but alas, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. As always, this episode was edited by Rick Coast. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer. And our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. You know, as we just said, this episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these very reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? So, Mark, bringing this show to a close. Until you forget all about Uncle Ben and that one time he was killed by Joey the Elbow, what's our motto? Joey the Elbow, that's a throwback. The motto, ah. of course, is with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment. Peace